Welcome to What Happened Next, a podcast about newish books. My name is Nathan Whitlaw, and I'm a writer. On this podcast, I speak to other writers about what happens when their new book is no longer new, and it's time to write another one. This is a part of the writing life that readers rarely see, and that many new writers, and even some experienced ones, are rarely prepared for. My guest on this episode is Jason McBride. Jason is a very prolific writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times Magazine, New York Magazine, The Believer, The Village Voice, Toronto Life, The Globe and Mail, as well as many other places. Jason's first book, Eat Your Mind, The Radical Life and Work of Kathy Acker, was published last November by Simon & Schuster. The book is the first major authorized biography of that American experimental novelist who died in 1997. It's a hugely impressive work of research and cultural analysis that took Jason a decade to complete. As we talk about in this conversation, he had fairly low expectations for its success. As it turns out, the book got rave reviews in the Los Angeles Times, the New York Times, the New Yorker. Jason did a bunch of high-profile events with people like Neil Gaiman and Sheila Hetty. And it has even sparked some TV and movie discussions. In our conversation, Jason talks about the long, winding route the book took to publication, how he found himself getting a little addicted to reading all those good reviews, and the difficulty he has had finding another book project that will engage him as much as Eat Your Mind did. To be perfectly honest, after the book came out, I, I kind of tried to slow down a little bit. I mean, I, I usually am working on, I don't know, anywhere from two to five different freelance assignments at one time, usually. I mean, even when I was working on the book, um, which is why partly why it took so long. Um, but the uh, uh, so right now I only have a couple of things. Um, I tried to dial it back a little bit just to kind of still recover from the whole book release process um and to try to figure out what to do next it sort of speaks to who you are and what your what your day job is and how you spend your time which is essentially as a freelance writer for multiple publications what's your main thing that you that you try to do i honestly will write about pretty much anything that anybody will pay me to write um i I started out writing originally um mostly culture stuff so i wrote about film and books and music and art and then became a few years ago well several years ago now, more of a generalist. So I I tend to write about politics, business, environmental stuff, still some culture whenever I get the opportunity. But as you know, like there's just not a lot of Mm -hmm. call for culture writing these days, sadly. So yeah, I tend to do less of that um, and do more of the stuff that people will pay me to do. So I mean, you did, you did write about very large pig, not that long ago. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Esther the Wonder Pig. Yeah, that was that was a great because that was kind of culture and animal rights and science and and sociology, I guess. Is there part of you that sort of enjoys having to do those assignments because it sends you out to places like going to meet a large pig? I mean, which you yeah, would not yeah. otherwise do. I, I I do enjoy that. I mean, that's one reason why I'm still uh, doing it um, now, fifteen years after I started. Um, I do find that extremely enjoyable that you can dive into a subject that you may not be that. Uh, knowledgeable about or even that interested in for, you know, the month or so that it might take to write a, a freelance magazine article, a feature-length uh, magazine article. Um, so I do enjoy that, although I found um, working on my book and, and and finally 
finishing my book, um, that writing about something that I was extremely passionate about and, and fascinated by, it's a lot more fun. So now I'm sort of struggling with trying to find that kind of a passion project again um, and continue to pay the bills by doing what I normally do. Um, but I find it maybe is a little bit more challenging to do the stuff that I'm not as passionate about now, which was a surprising uh, effect of, of writing the book. Yeah, I mean, I remember reading interviews um, with Mordecai Richler decades ago. I remember reading an interview where he said he would write a novel and then intentionally, once the novel was done and it was launched and it was out in the world, he would intentionally go looking for magazine work that would send him anywhere, interviewing politicians, interviewing anybody just to get out of his own head, just to get out of his own space and out of his own experience again. Yeah. But you're not quite there. You're still like no, I have in, the, the opposite. In, the mode. In, in, in a way, I've had the opposite. Like I really want to write fiction and I have had a couple of, again, we're sort of jumping ahead, but but I have a couple of um, fiction uh, projects that I've had in my drawer on my hard drive for. I do spend all my days out in the world talking to people and, and I'd love to be inside my own head, I think, for an extended period of time and, and, and try to see what I can create that way um so yeah i guess i'm the opposite of mordecai in so many ways <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in terms of this book i've heard you speak because i went to your to the launch of this to the toronto launch and part of it is obviously your love of kathy acker and mm. going to see can you talk a little bit about that first time i mean you write about sure, it in yeah. the book about first yeah, time I mean, seeing her um i saw kathy acker read when i was in my second year at the university of toronto um she read at the harbor front I forget what it was called at the time. Big, big literary festival in Toronto um, every fall. And she came and she read. And I had been, you know, a big William Burroughs fan um, in high school. And she was uh, a writer who was doing something similar, quite different in many ways, but similar to what Burroughs had done. And she was very influenced by Burroughs. And, and I went to see her read um, at this festival. And she blew me away. She was, you know, she tattooed and, and uh, short hair, heavily pierced, um, uh, wore quite an unusual outfit. She didn't look like any other writer that was at the festival, for sure. Um, and read, um, I believe she read from a book called In Memoriam to Identity, um, and um, read in, you know stuff that I had never heard anyone read or write. Like it was, she was so unusual and so different than any other person I was reading at the time. So, um, but also it, uh, was was in interviews, was talking about the philosophy I was studying at university, was was just doing lots of interesting uh, experimental work that I found quite fascinating at the time and, and uh, remained fascinated by for, for years. You know, I was sort of obsessed with her throughout my late teens and early 20s. And then she died quite young at the age of 50 in 1997. Um, and I waited for somebody to write a biography of her. Uh, for years, and and because she had led, from what I knew, a, quite an extraordinary life. She'd been a sex worker, a performance artist, and was in all different sorts of fascinating cultural scenes, knew lots of interesting people, and um, wrote these extraordinary books. And so I felt the biography was inevitable, um, and then nothing came, and, and I'd hear rumors about them. And over time, I became a journalist. I, I met um, some of the writers in her circles, um, and then finally... Uh, in 2012, 2013, I reached out to her executor to say, look, I, I, nobody's going to write this book. I really want to write it. And, and he gave me his blessing and, and then off I went. Um, but I didn't expect when I embarked on the, the Acker book that it would take me as long as it did. Like, and, and I was very pleasantly surprised that I was able to sustain that interest 
for the 10 odd years that I worked on it. Um, and this is uh, one thing I'm bumping up against now is trying to find something, a subject that would compel me for as long. I mean, I don't want to write a book that will take that long. I'd like to do something a little shorter, but I do need to find something I think that would sustain my interest. And you had envisioned the Acker biography as uh, two, a three. Yeah, like I, I thought, well, I've written lots of magazine profiles. This will just be like a really long profile. Biography or profiles, five, 6,000 words. How long could it take? A year or two? It's not the case at all. <laughs> there was even more to that journey uh, in terms of the publishing the, uh, house that you went with. It was originally going to be with a scholarly press. It was going to be originally with Columbia University Press, um, mainly, well, partially because um, there just wasn't a lot of interest when we first, when my agent was uh, trying to sell the book. Um, you know, Acker at that point had been in some ways forgotten by a lot of people. And, you know, she wasn't always taken that seriously during her lifetime. And then after she passed away in 1997, there was a couple of years of, of conferences and, and, and posthumous publications. And, but then she was starting to be forgotten, I think. And, and by the time I, you know, when I told my agent I wanted to write about it, her mom was a friend of Acker's and, and even my agent was kind of like, oh yeah, I guess, I don't know. Like it wasn't, <laughs> there wasn't a huge amount of expectations were low let's say so when she shopped it around the only uh presses that were interested tended to be university presses so columbia university press was going to uh do it and then um partially because it was going to be the first biography of of acker and then um as i discovered soon after that was announced uh there was another biography of kathy acker that was in the works um one that i'd heard rumors about for for years but didn't seem to be coming together which was a book by Chris Krause. So when it was announced that my book was coming out, um, Chris kind of uh, revived her project and, and, and speedily put that out um, in 2018. Um, and so when that book came out, Columbia seemed to get a little, some of their enthusiasm waned and, and I could sense that. And um, at the time I had been, uh, one of the first people that I had interviewed was Iris Silverberg, who was a good friend of Acker's and, you know, variously her agent, her editor, her publicist. Um, and he was at the time at Simon & Schuster as an editor, a senior editor at Simon & Schuster, and, and said to me, like, if, you, if, if you're not happy with Columbia, then, you know, I'll see if I can possibly bring the book over to uh, Simon & Schuster. Um, he thought it would be challenging and I had to revise my proposal a fair bit, um, but then he, he very kindly um, brought it into the house and, and championed it and managed to get them to take it. And uh, so I paid back my little advance to Columbia and then Simon Schuster took over. I mean, was there a, a period where the book was with nobody between when you were kind of taking it away from one or was it always going no, to end it was up always at... it was always going to like it was I didn't tell Columbia that I was going to take it. I so, see you know, Simon Schuster had said yes so yeah well they won't discover it now they when they when they listen to this I don't know if that's is that is that kosher I don't know if that's double <laughs> I don't know what it is but uh but we'll soon was, find out if you get a lawyer's <laughs> letter <laughs> it felt like some sort of self-preservation like I, I I wanted the book obviously to have as big an audience as possible I had no allusion like we couldn't sell it to Simon Schuster prior to Ira's intervention. So I was very happy to, like Simon Schuster is not the kind of book they would have done, I think, had it not been for Ira's uh, insistence. Sadly, Ira got let go uh, several months later. Um, and so didn't actually edit the book. And it was passed along to a younger colleague of his 
named Stuart Roberts. That was that. Do you feel at all responsible for that? For I don't know if it was me. I'm not sure. I hope it wasn't my book, but I, you know, I was, I was nervous. I was like, oh, without Ira there, like, what are they going to do? And I had fears. Like, I, I felt that Ira would have protected the book had he been there. And, and I worried that, oh, you know, it's a big house. There's something, you know, they might try to, I don't know, dumb it down or, or do something. And, and to my great relief and, and, and uh, delight, they, they were very hands off most of the time in terms of the editing. In one of your previous lives, you worked in book publishing. And as you probably know, there is the phenomenon, and a lot of writers don't know this, that publishers will sometimes sign a book, be very enthusiastic, and then it comes in, the enthusiasm starts to wane. And by the time it, they're ready to put it out, it's basically holding their nose and going, yeah, it's we'll print it and we'll put it in a store. But was there that fear too, that they, just as with the first publisher, that the, enthusi the general enthusiasm would wane and um, it, it would get marooned? A little bit. I mean, I didn't know my, my, you know, I kept my expectations from the very beginning. My expectations have been quite low, like because I, I thought, you know, like I said, Acker had been sort of forgotten. I mean, Chris Krauss, when her book came out, um, she kind of revived interest in, in Acker. And there has been in the last few years, and I talk about this at the end of my book, uh, a kind of a, a, an Acker renaissance. Um, and, uh, but I still thought, oh, well, are people sick of Acker now? Like, are they like I had, you know, I still kept my expectations were low. And when Simon Schuster, you know, took it, um Ira was a seasoned pro like he'd been doing this for a long time and, and was older and then when he was no longer there like the book went to Stuart who was great but Stuart was also a younger editor and then when and then his assistant Maria uh was also younger um and then when I got uh, assigned a publicist or the book got assigned a publicist like I think you know my publicist was great um uh, but she was also younger so I, I got the sense that I was getting like the people at a certain level in the company, um, perhaps because the book, you know, I didn't get a ton of money for the book, of course. And and so I thought that, well, they, they have some big name authors at Simon Schuster, obviously, who command their top executive talent um, who work on all their books. And, and there's probably many tiers and I'm at the very bottom of those tiers. But that said, they were all fantastic. Like I don't have any complaints um, and they all work very hard. This seems like a good time to break in to tell you how you can win a copy of Jason's book, Eat Your Mind, The Radical Life and Work of Kathy Acker, which the Los Angeles Times said does everything a good biography should and more. Simon & Schuster Canada has very generously provided two free copies of Eat Your Mind for listeners of this podcast. To win a copy of the book, all you have to do is go to nathanwhitlock.ca slash contact and send me a note with the subject line, Eat Your Mind Giveaway. Send that before 5 p.m. Ontario time on Friday, May 12th, and I will do a random draw. Again, go to nathanwhitlock.ca slash contact and send me a note with the subject line, Eat Your Mind Giveaway, before 5 p.m. on Friday, May 12th. Um, I mentioned that you used to work in publishing. You worked at Coach House Books and you edited some books there as well. But you've also said your expectations were low. I would say, you know, realistic is probably the better way sure. to categorize yeah. that. Yeah. Is part of that because of your experience working in publishing and sort of seeing what happens when a book hits, hmm. hits the real world? Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, and I also, you know, like we both know lots of writers and, and we all know writers who have put out books that have sunk like stones and like like you know a thousand books come out every 
day, it seems, and, and how many of them can, you know, command any kind of attention at all, let alone like both from readers, but also from, you know, the press. I mean, there's just so much competition for books now um, that wasn't even there when I first thought, you know, had an inkling of writing books. Um, and I think that the the level of competition, I mean, I, I, I have this thing I've talked about with other writers that like, it feels like every season there's, there's like a handful of books that get anointed as the books of the season. Um, you know, there's usually maybe five or six at most um, that get seem to suck up all the review attention. Um, and then consequently, the readership, I, I feel like they're the ones that get the awards or the ones that get the, you know, everything. Um, and so I was like, well, I can't imagine that that will happen to this book, um, you know, both because I'm an unknown quantity and, and the actor is still kind of, a, you know, an unusual um, quantity. So, yeah, so I, I, I just, yeah, realistic. I think I, that there's, you know, you can only hope for so much. And there's so there's such a, there's so many variables that are out of your hands. Like you can write the best book possible, um, but that doesn't mean anything really in terms of, of getting into the hands of readers. Um, so there's certain things that line up that you can't really control. And I, you know, I say this to people who ask me about agents too, is like agents will say, oh, we need these kinds of books or we want this kind of an author or we want this and 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 often those agents don't know what they're talking about like you can make the best guess possible but there's always stuff that happens that people don't expect i i feel very lucky that when this book did come out that that it did get a lot more attention than i expected and, and the things did line up and it was for a small corner of the literary world it was kind of an anointed book like it did get a lot of a lot of press that i had no hope of really getting it did get a lot of amazing press attention, especially in the U.S. Yeah. How did your expectations at that point? First of all, how did that feel? How, what did that feel like? Yeah. I'm going to guess it feels good, but I do want to ask the question. It felt pretty good. Um, when I, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you do this too when you're you're releasing books. Um, you have a conversation with your publicist, and you you sort of give them like you know this is what these are the places I think people might be interested in the book. These are the reviewers that might be interested. Uh, this is what I'd love to get if, if at all possible. Um, and I had, you know, a list of, because it was published by Simon Schuster in the US. And I, and I know the kinds of books that tend to get coverage, you know, the New Yorker or the New York Review of Books or, and I thought, well, I know there's a market there for this kind of a book and whether or not it will break through to get to that market is, is, is hard to say. But so I had a list, you know, and my dream, uh, you know, scenario was like, I, I thought, this is the kind of book that the New Yorker will review um, as a way to kind of write a long form essay on that person. So they'll write a, a review of my book and write about Kathy Acker and, and where she uh, lives in literary history and, and today and give a lot of context. Um, and so I, I had the fantasy that this would be the case with my book. That your um, book would be the jumping off point for exactly, one of those yeah, classic yeah. New Yorker. Yeah, uh, yeah there's yeah. a book now. Let's yeah. here's eight thousand words about why this the thing that book touches on. Yeah. So that was my dream uh, review in a way. I mean, it, it, sort of a perverse dream because I mean, Acker was in the New Yorker, mentioned in the New Yorker once very early on in her career, and she loathed the New Yorker. Um, and you know, I have I like the New Yorker. I, I mean, sort of a love hate relationship with the New Yorker, but the. Um, you know, I still thought it would be a great place for the book to appear and get the kind of audience that I think the book warranted. And so that was one of my dream scenarios. And then I had a bunch of other things. And, 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 and you know, my publicist did her best to get the book out to people. And, and I had a 
a couple of literary critics I know who write for the New Yorker and write those kind of essays. And, and I thought, well, I know them from social media. I don't know them at all, but I'll see if I can get the books to them. Anyway, long story long. Um, I It did happen. The New Yorker did write a long piece about it, um, did exactly all the things that I, I expected. Um, and it was mostly positive and, and, you know, it got a lot of attention and it, it got readers to the book. It got yeah, so it was great. Like, and then it got a New York Times review, which was also, you know, mostly positive. That was fantastic. Um, you know, by Dwight Garner, so their lead reviewer. So, so my publicist had hinted early on, like she had made overtures to these publications, and she uh, would send me up periodic updates saying, you know, tentative New York Times review, or you know, it sounds like the New Yorker might do something. We'll see. And 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 I again still wanted to keep my expectations low or realistic, like you know. I hoped that these things would happen. And then uh, lo and behold, they did. And, and all like over the course of a week, it seemed like there was, you know, LA Times review, San Francisco Chronicle review. It was extraordinary. And it all happened. Yeah. Like, like as I was arriving in New York to launch the book. So it was the timing couldn't have been better. Not to sort of make you set, make you paint yourself as an ingrate or something, but how quickly did you go from, this is incredible. Look at the size of this review. This is all for my book. I did this and it's exactly what I'd thinking to reading whatever, wherever it was in the New Yorker or New York Times and going, finding the one criticism or the one line. You're like, eat jerks. That happens pretty fast. Um, in the moment, like, cause I know how those New Yorker reviews go, right? Like I know mm -hmm. that, that a lot of the stuff that's in those is taken from the book and rephrased and, and paraphrased and, and, and it seems as if the writer has done all this research when most of it is coming from your own book and so it's a little bit of a, it does feel weird um but at the same time like I, I i don't think most readers notice that stuff and even like there's a little i mean the the reviews have been almost as far as i can recall almost all positive overwhelmingly positive even if there's occasional caveats or or, or criticism like none of it has been like i haven't been lagged like it's been like as far as reviews go like i feel like it's mostly like a dream do you feel like you're do you feel like you're missing out at all that you didn't get a couple I'm of good, gonna, a good like all, real nasty slams in the British press somebody, or something? Something's coming down the pipe. It can't all be good. I, I don't know. <laughs> I I but I, I I started to have this feeling when I like, you know, I'm I'm probably no more insecure than any other writer, but I I, I remember when the book so I was just trying to remember the chronology because it's also uh, such a blur, but I remember if I filed the first draft middle of June in 2021, and I finished the final and third edit um, February of 2022, so just over a year ago, um, and then uh, started sending it to uh, people who knew Acker and, you know, people who I'd interviewed, who, who and, and, and trusted, and, and, you know, people who would have given, who would give me an honest opinion, as well as other readers who, you know, who are friends who, who, you know, gave me helpful feedback but you know you can't always completely trust your friends in terms of what they're going to say about your book or your writing and so when I started getting good feedback from the people that knew Acker and had the most invested in the book um, I started to feel a little bit more relaxed and then when we started sending it to blurbers and I would get messages from the blurbers like saying how much they're enjoying the book like I started to feel a bit more relaxed about the book's presence in the world because I was super obviously worried. Um, and to my great relief, like everyone was complimentary or, or supportive or, or um, yeah, just like, I mean, I still kind of hard, kind of hard to believe. Like, I feel like somebody's going to say something that's 
but it's uh but the reception of the book has been yeah still like consistently uh good you got sent around i know you did a number of um appearances in the u.s you went around to a number of cities you did a number of things in in canada i know you are not a uh you are not a song and dance man you're not a <laughs> sort of uh microphone hog so did that feel weird to be now physically having to stand up as the jason mcbride on the cover mm -hmm. yeah i mean totally totally weird and and uh i didn't know how that would go like i i honestly um like i still feel a bit of um not imposter syndrome, but I feel like Kathy Acker is in particular, like a pretty, uh, people feel very proprietary towards her. Um, I mean, throughout the writing of the book, like I was always kind of waiting for somebody to say like, who the fuck are you? Like, why are you writing this book? And 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 that never really happened. Maybe only with one or two people. Um, for the most part, people were very happy that I was writing the book. I mean, they, they just wanted her legacy to be maintained. And then, and, and I was very grateful to be trusted with it. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so getting out in the world and then talking about Acker as if I was an expert, like, I, I mean, I, I felt more comfortable with it than I expected, partly because I think a lot of the time I had to do uh, interviews over uh, video rather than in person, and that maybe made things a little easier. It's been easier to talk about um, than I thought. Like, I feel like, I guess you spend 10 years on, on anything, like you do become some kind of an expert. I mean, you have to, but at the same time, like uh, uh, expertise on someone like Acker, who sort of was very suspicious of authority, um, both as a person and as a writer, like, I think that that's kind of a weird position to be in too, right? Like, I don't feel like anyone can be that authoritative about Acker, and she's so complex that I'm only kind of able to talk about small parts of her and her work. You're not getting sent reviews every week by your publicist. Yes. There's not sort of uh, interview requests coming through um which is how i got through i guess so i'm sort of i think i feel like i'm catching you at that that moment where old man winter is starting to get put away and the new the hot young literary biographies are being celebrated uh, in the new season how does that feel like to sort of look back and like this is this is a 10-year project and again not that long ago but it's starting to move into the background a little bit it's hard, Nathan. I'm not going to lie. It's hard. No, I, I, uh, I, I'm just looking for tears. I'm looking for, yeah. I'm looking. I'm I, uh, I, I don't know if there's tears, but there's, um, it's funny. Like I, 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 when the reviews were coming out, like, again, we've said this so many times, but like, I was just like, everything was like a, a shock, right? Every day I would get these shots. Oh my God. I can't believe it got this. And then, oh, wow. It got a good review. Oh, it got this. It got that. Uh, oh, wow. Neil Gaiman's going to interview me at city lights. Like there's, there was just like a, 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 a several for, for at least three weeks or so felt like there was like a, a daily uh, eruption of excitement like I would be and 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 for people who talk about I, I didn't understand writers who you know I've been hearing it my whole life but writers who I don't read reviews or you know you can't take reviews seriously like I was just like give me more and like I, I like the reviews I just like I want to read every like even if I would read them very quickly just like to find the good or bad stuff like I, I was just like I the good review, good reads reviews. I, I want to read them all. I'm going to read every single one that comes out. Like I, I was just like, I don't understand. Like when you spend 10 years on something, I guess I was surprised a little bit. I was surprised that right, right, don't all writers don't feel this way or they lie about it. But I was also surprised at the depth of my own um, need for external validation. Like, like I, I just wanted to the people to give me some kind of feedback on something that I spent so long on. Um, and so I, I read everything um, 
and still read everything, still check Goodreads and Amazon every day. Like, I, like it's, it's, it feels silly. And especially because those reviews have slowed to a trickle. And so, yeah, it does feel a little strange. Like I, I felt like I was addicted to that publicity, you know, like in, in, in a way that I had no expectation of, of being. Um, and so now that it's not there, I, it does feel a little, I don't know what it is. Like I guess I'm back to normal, back to my normal life. Um, and, uh, which is fine. Like I, I like I had did have sort of once the good stuff started happening, um, especially in publications that, would, that I would love to write for. Um, I had the again naive hope that oh suddenly all these places are going to start asking me to write. Oh, New York Times Book Review, sure, send me this book and I'll. Review. But that doesn't happen, right? Like you, you, I'm still like one guy who's written one book that got a bit of attention. Um, and so if I was to try to write for those publications, I think I would have to then just be a lot more proactive about it and and. and pitch those places so yeah the cooling off I mean I've been lucky like I mean there's been a couple of opportunities that have come my way like I've been asked to you know give talks at universities and and um which is nice there's there's a bit of um interest in turning it into a film or possibly a tv series which I don't want to say anything about I don't want to jinx it um and I know those things ra rarely come to fruition so but that's nice that's a nice little um surprise um and then the book of course will come out in paperback in the fall and uh, who knows there might be more i don't know if there'll be much more press i don't know if there's much more press to get um but there might be a little bit more of a flurry of interest in the book but you're sort of entering that that long tail period where yeah. things will keep happening and there'll be lumps <laughs> but that first first wave spike is yeah thing i always sort of tell new writers or or and something that I thought myself before I published a book was you always have this idea that you write and write and you work and work and you're sort of dirty and sweaty and you're down in the muck and then the book comes out and you sort of pass through this beaded curtain yeah. and suddenly you're in a tuxedo or you're in, in the evening wear and they hand you a glass of champagne and they just sort of like welcome this is it like this is your new life welcome to the author's club you are now here you this will be every day then you start to hit that moment where you're like oh it's i'm sort of back to the oh, sweating and uh yeah. yeah you're now in this position where the work you were doing before which was again you would follow someone around or go out to some place and do research for four or five weeks write a piece and off it goes and then on to the next thing and now that you've had this taste of immersing yourself in a in a passion project you want to do that again you want to be part of that again do you have some ideas in terms of what could be that passion project the i i spent like i i really thought that um it would be important to have that idea kind of locked down when the book came out because i i knew people would ask me that i thought that you know it would be helpful to kind of whatever momentum the book did generate that it would be helpful to capitalize on that in, in trying to get another book deal um, and so I felt it was really important to nail that down and I didn't like, I, 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 I was much more also, we didn't really talk about this, but, but when the book was finished, like I really felt burnt out. Like I really, for a long time in ways that I didn't expect either, because I had been going like the, 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 the book, the research took most of that 10 years, right? Like in the actual writing was like a real sprint for maybe about nine months, and and so writing it like at the end of it, I was just like so drained and and that feeling persisted for much longer than I thought. And so I did I couldn't come up with the idea. Like I had vague thoughts of things. 
the one that I most was captivated by was uh, writing a book about another youthful hero of mine, which is John Cassavetes, the filmmaker. And I had the thought of, there's never been like a really good biography of him, I think. And I, but I had the thought of maybe because I don't want to spend another decade on a book that I would do a, a smaller part of his life and focus specifically on the films he made with Jenna Rollins. And so do a, a kind of a, a biography of the two of them and a book about their marriage and about their artistic collaboration through the prism of the six films that they worked on together. That was one idea I had, and I haven't come up with anything better than that because I, again, like I'm just trying to find the thing that will captivate me for that long period of time is just tricky. Do you think maybe that was also why when all those great things were happening, when there was that three or four weeks of daily great review here, another blurb here, this person's going to do this, this person has said some great stuff about it. Do you think that was why it it was so elating for you that, you know, it had, you had burnt out so much on the book that you were kind of flatlining a little bit and this was the you know, the sugary dessert at the end to finally, like, yeah, oh, yeah, yes, yeah, this was the fun part. This is, I get to be excited about my book. Yeah, again. yeah, no, that's very possible. Yeah, 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 no, it was the fun part for sure, yeah. Is there also a a little part of you that's afraid to do that as, again, to, that you would find yourself in another, in another 10-year project, another burnout uh, period? Yeah, I don't know. It wasn't that bad. I mean, I, I don't think I don't feel fearful of that. I mean, I really don't want I think I think I learned enough lessons from writing the book that I could do a book, uh, another biography in much uh, shorter time period. Um, I think I, I made a, you know, a few mistakes along the way when I was researching and writing that I think I wouldn't repeat. Um, but the uh, yeah, so no, I'm not too afraid of that. I mean, in a way, like having something like that, that does come like, it's like having another life you know, in parallel to the life you lead um, every day. And so having that supplementary or that secondary life is kind of a nice thing to have, I think. Um, and, and I mean, again, like I, it would be great to work on a novel as my secondary or, or supplementary life and to go into like a completely imaginative, imaginative, imaginary world um, and, and, and live there um, rather than, because I think part of the problem is when I was writing the book, um, was doing exactly what I do in my day job in my other job in writing the book. So I was doing interviews, I was researching, I was reporting, I was doing all that. There was not enough, not enough of a division between if if you if you do choose to go that route to go the fictional route, does that change again all the thinking around expectations around who will read this, how many people who will want this, who will uh, who will see it. I don't know if your expectations can go any lower, but I think uh, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like fiction is, yeah, like, I mean, it's, you know, like, it's, it's hard to get people to get excited about a new novel. Um, I mean, obviously they do, obviously there's great novels being published every day and they're getting attention, but there's so many that don't, unfortunately. And, and, and so, yeah, I think I would be uh naive to think that i mean maybe i i i maybe i there's a little bit of a hook now because i have this other book and the people will you know oh it's that guy that wrote the kathy acker book will take a look at this novel maybe a couple more people might but i still yeah i don't is there also a feeling like even though you want to move on from that particular project whatever the next project is sort of has to live up to the great things that were said about that previous project 
yeah, in the I sense thought, of I thought about that, Nathan. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. I guess I do have to live everything, whatever it has to be, has to be as good as whatever someone the New York Review said about about yeah. your book. Like it it has to be worthy of the author of Eat Your Mind, in other words. Yeah, I didn't think about that. But well, you should think about it. That's I just... will. <laughs> no, I will. Um, it's funny though. I mean, honestly, I... I I can confess. I you know, twenty twenty years ago, I won a small, a very minor short story award, and for months after, I was like, well, I got to write a, a story that's like that, and is as good <laughs> I, as uh, that because it won an award. So it does do things to your head where you you realize like, oh, I've got to measure up to this, however imaginary it is. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, there's the one thing that I did consider uh, or have. I, one thing that I maybe has prevented me from coming up with something that I can really dive into right away is, is trying to figure out like I don't really have a brand I don't care about my whatever my how what people think of me as a writer like what kind of a writer I am but I think we have we talked we've talked about this like for a brief moment um last summer um I had the idea I wanted to write a biography of Martin Short because I thought that would be a lot of fun, like to hang out with Martin Short and interview all the people that know Martin Short. I could go to LA for six months and just like, you know, talk to really funny, uh, rich people. And uh, and then I was like, does that make sense to do after writing a biography of Kathy Acker? Like, I mean, I contain multitudes, but like, <laughs> does my brand, whatever that might be, like, it, I don't really have one, so it doesn't really matter. But it's weird to think of those things um, that one has to think about those things, I guess. A, I 100% agree with you. Going from doing all that research in Kathy Acker and then now doing all this, again, hanging out in LA with Steve Martin or something, incalculably more fun. But B, you know there's going to be that review that says, you know, well, after starting a promising career as a liter serious literary biographer. I mean, and, and again, the Martin Short thing, like it was a brief uh, flirtation. And then when I read his memoir, I was like, oh, no one reads, needs a biography of Martin Short. He's already done it. You'll let Martin Short handle it yeah, this time. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What Happened Next is produced and edited by me. To let me know what you think of this podcast or to suggest a future guest, please go to the contact page at nathanwhitlock.ca. The music playing under my voice is by the great Alex Lukashevsky, who is letting me use it for free. You can find more of Alex's music at alukashevsky.bandcamp.com. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. There will be a new episode every Monday. Please buy more books, and not just new ones.